0: Uh, If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, uh, if you would open uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. If you need a Bible this morning and don't have one, just raise up your hand. Our ushers would love to get a Bible into your hand just so that you can follow along in the scripture as we uh, go through it together. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, and we're going to do uh, something that may or may not be a bad idea, so we'll, we'll figure it out by the end of the sermon, which is m- me teaching more than a chapter <laughs> in a single study. Uh, so uh, some of you are already looking at me like, yes, we know that's a bad idea. <laughs> um, I, I will make the reason and argument for it, uh, and even the author in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, states that uh, he would run out of time if he tried to explain everything. And so that'll be the short version of my sermon is I'm not going to try to explain everything (laughs) because he didn't try it either. I'm just trying to follow his example in that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, if you've been following along with us, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews as we do at Calvary Chapel. Uh, We go through the Bible uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, with our aim of understanding of what the scripture means so that we can apply it to our life and um, live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to uh, give a lot of attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. Um, I'm going to endeavor to read for us uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, all the way through chapter 12, verse 2, which is just two verses into the next chapter. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He, being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch, when he was uh, taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For because he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he uh, was called to go out to the place uh, which he would receive an inheritance and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, uh, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but... Uh, having seen them afar off were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland and truly if he called uh, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he had tested, uh, when, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to rise him up even from the dead, from which he also received in him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure, treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he uh, forsook Egypt, not fearing not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover. Uh, by, yeah, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time, uh, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, through whom, uh, who, uh, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched violence, uh, quenched the violent. Violence of fire escaped the judgment of the of the sword. uh, Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not escaping deliver uh, not escaping deliverance, uh, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and an imprisonments. they were stoned, they were sawn in two, uh, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these. Having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God, having provided something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your word, Lord, and for your faithfulness in our life. Lord, we thank you for Explaining to us the importance of faith in your word, Lord, for giving to us the testimony of those who have been faithful uh, beforehand, Lord, that we may be encouraged by them. We ask now, as we get into your word, Lord, that your word would get into us. Lord, renew uh, us by the water, by the washing of the water of your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, So, a lot of Verses this morning, um, all on the same topic uh, with regard to faith. If you're taking notes, it's uh, on the screen coming up soon. I think our sermon title is, uh, Walking with God Has Always Required Faith and Endurance. Walking with God Has Always Required Faith and Endurance. Uh, in this chapter, we're going to see faith uh, is defined. Uh, we'll see past patterns of faith, of God's people uh, enduring by faith, and finally, the requirement that God has for us, uh, that um, your faithfulness and my faithful endurance depends on uh, not what we do, but what Christ has already done. So uh, notice how the author of Hebrews begins chapter 11, is with um, often what's pointed to as a definition of faith. Um, Verse 1 again, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, and while that is often uh, pointed to as the definition of faith, it was never super helpful for me in particular. It it seemed to make something that was unclear less clear uh, somehow. And so uh, I'll try to un- untangle it a little bit um, by how I've wrestled with that verse over the years, and then uh, give you my own definition of, of faith. Um, and so... He's going to first define it before he's going to give examples of it. But in his uh, definition, there are other translations that can be helpful. Um, Also in verse 3, when he says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen uh, were not made with things that are visible. So he's still trying to unpack a little bit of what this faith thing is. Uh, Pastor Damian Kyle defines it this way, uh, faith, that is, is to live in absolute confidence in what God has said, even when I don't see the fullness of the promise. Uh, the uh, NLT translation of the Bible uh, translates this verses, faith is the confidence that what we have hoped for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So that kind of helps a little bit unpacking it there. My own definition of faith that's defined through this passage and other passages in scripture, uh, namely Romans chapter 4, is this. Uh, this, Pastor Austin's definition of faith is uh, confidence in a person to keep a promise. So faith, and and I know faith is kind of a churchy word. Sometimes we use it outside of the church, but definitely one of those churchy words uh, is faith is confidence. Uh, Generally speaking, this not specifically in our context here, but generally speaking, it's confidence in a person to keep a promise. Let me give you an illustration. If I told you that next week um, I would bring uh, some pizza for us to enjoy after service, and uh, next week I showed up with pizza for us to enjoy after service, and then that week I promised you the following week I would bring pizza to enjoy after service, and then I did that every week, week after week, um, and every week I had a pizza, you would probably start bringing your, your favorite ranch dressing to go with it or some drinks to go with it because all I'm bringing is the pizza. And then you might be showing up and it would be very odd for somebody, if they were visiting you, maybe a family member, they're like, why are you just bringing like paper plates, napkins and some drinks? What, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, there's this guy, Austin, he, he brings me pizza every Sunday. Um, it's not a very good diet, but it's my cheat day, so it's fine. And so after a year of doing that, you would start bringing stuff, you would be, you'd make plans based upon it because it, you're, you can count on me keeping that promise to you to the point where it's affecting the way you prepare for church uh, on the morning uh, of Sunday. And then uh, so you can have confidence in me because I've shown myself worthy of that confidence for you. Uh, now let's flip the illustration. Let's say next week, I say, I'm going to bring you pizza next week and I don't bring it. You're a little bit disappointed, and you're like, oh, I thought I could trust him, and then the next week, I'm like, I'll make it up to you. I'll, next week, I'll bring you pizza, and I don't bring it. If I do that for a year, by the time, <laughs> if you're still coming, for whatever reason, and you're still allowing me to talk to you about pizza, <laughs> you'd be like, if your family friends were there, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. He's going to bring you pizza next week. You'd be like, he's not bringing me pizza next week. And I'm like, well, how do you know? He just said he would. And you're like, because every week, he promises to bring it, and every week, he doesn't do it. And it it isn't that uh, your lack of confidence in me makes me unfaithful, and it isn't that your confidence in me makes me faithful. It it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how much confidence you have or don't have. uh, That doesn't change my actions. My actions will dictate to you (laughs) what kind of confidence you can have in me. If I'm exceptionally faithful in bringing pizza every Sunday, you can have a very high level of confidence in my faithfulness to the promise that I've made. If I make promises and don't keep them at all ever, then you can also have very high confidence that I'll be very unfaithful. (laughs) Uh, Somewhat uh, similar to our current relationship with PG&E this morning. (laughs) We are very confident in their inability to deliver consistent service at this point. Um, So we, we, we have confidence. It's just not the kind of confidence that they would want to have from us. And so with the Lord, we can have great confidence in him to do what he's going to say because he is great in his faithfulness to do the things that he says he's going to do. And so as we grow in our confidence of the Lord, we can have greater and greater faith in the Lord. As we know more of the promises of the Lord, we can have more and more confidence in those promises. But our faith in his promises doesn't make him more faithful. But because he is great in his faithfulness, we can have great faith in him. And that's, that's how it works. It isn't like, sometimes there's this misunderstanding of faith that floats around Christianity. If I just believe something hard enough, then God will do it. And if God didn't do it, it's because I didn't believe it hard enough. And that, that's the opposite. That's us telling God what to do <laughs> because we, we had confidence in him to do it. It doesn't matter how much confidence my kids have in me to give them ice cream for breakfast. I really believe it. <laughs> I name it and I claim that promise. <laughs> So it's like, I'm sorry, because I love you and because I'm in control of all things in your life. No, <laughs> right? God loves us and he's in control of all things and he's made spe- specific promises that we can hang on to and hope in, um, but they are not ice cream and bre- uh, for breakfast kind of promises. And somehow uh, in our American Christian world, sometimes uh, we think we can have ice cream for breakfast if, if only we believe hard enough. Uh, But that's putting promises into the mouth of God that he has not made. God has made promises, and he will be faithful to keep those promises, whether we know them or not, whether we believe them or not. But how we can live our life can either be positively or negatively affected by those things. I had a friend of mine who was always worried about uh, the car running out of gas. And it was because uh, his um, mom always would run out of gas. So everywhere we go, he's like, do we have enough gas? I'm like, relax, we have enough gas. <laughs> but he was always concerned about it because in his growing up world, it, there was no faithfulness to you know, top it off, <laughs> to observe the gauge in which you, know, you should get more gas now. But his worry didn't affect my faithfulness to fill up my gas tank. And his, you know, my, my confidence in his mom Didn't affect her ability to put gas in. (laughs) God is faithful to His promises, and that's what He's saying here in verse one. Again, when He says, "Faith is the substance of things hoped for." That is, like I'm, I'm confident that God's going to keep this promise of of taking me into heaven, uh, by not my righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Why are Why are you living the way you're living? Is a question I get asked periodically from my unchristian friends, Uh, because how the unsaved world understands life is in terms of selfishness. Like, if you can explain your Christian actions in terms of selfishness, I will then understand. <laughs> what are you getting out of this? What are you getting, like, I was trying to explain to somebody that, you know, I fell in for my pastor from time to time, they're like, well, do you, they pay you? And I'm like, well, sometimes, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, there are seasons where I've been on staff, seasons I'm not on staff, I'm on staff currently, but even if I wasn't, I would do this for free because God has called me to it. And I I believe that God will reward those actions more than Calvary Chapel Valley Springs could ever reward those actions. The best they can do is pay my bills. Jesus, eternal riches forever. That's much better, (laughs) right? But they don't understand that. The world does not understand um, what trusting God looks like. They only know trusting themselves and the things that they have. And so again, my definition of faith is is simply uh, confidence in a person to keep a promise. With regard to God, it's confidence in God to keep his promises. And we're going to run through a whole bunch of examples here, um, but I want to give pull out one case study before we move on to our, our second main point, which is uh, a, a quick case study. Abraham in uh, verses 17 and 19, 17 through 19 rather, uh, we're told that by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And Uh, and he who had received the promise of the offering... Oh, sorry, I skipped a line. uh, Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. So the promise for Abraham in the context was, through your son, you're going to have many descendants, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sand on the seashore. And then God tells him to take his, his son, his only son, before his son has had any kids, and he says, offer him up on a mountain. And he's like, all right, (laughs) I don't know. This seems contradictory to the promises you've already made. Uh, But we're told that his response to that was in verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, that he he was going to go ahead and do this thing. At this point in history, nobody had been raised from the dead yet. Where did this confidence in God come from? Abraham had God's promise, Abraham knew God and God's general ability as the creator of everything. And that's what he's talking about back in verse three. We understand that the worlds were framed, You know, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made of things which are not visible or invisible. And what he's saying in all of that is if you can get past Genesis 1.1, believing the rest of scripture is gonna be easy. Abraham didn't have anything past his lifetime in, in terms of church history. Uh, he, all he had was the account in Genesis. You know, God made everything. And if God can make everything, then he can make, you know, my dead body and my wife's dead body create an, a living body. And if God wants to take that living body after I kill that body, he can make it alive again. That's what he concluded. If God is the creator of everything, what can't God do? does whatever he wants. (laughs) He's God. He's not limited like we are. And so even though he had a smaller picture of God, he had greater faith in God than some of us sometimes. And so the foundation of our faith is in God as the creator of heaven and earth. Point number two for this morning is that the past is the, the pattern of the past, or the past pattern is this. God's people endured by faith. He's going to go on and on, on and on and on and on and on, and and he even says at one point, I could go on even more, but I would run out of time, which is what I'm feeling like this morning. Um, So the reason why we're tackling this as a section, though, is because from verse 4, sorry, verse 2 through verse 40, it's all framed together by two verses in particular. Verse 2, notice what it says. For by it, that's faith, For by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Scroll on down to verse uh, 40, uh, sorry, verse 39 and 40. He says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So he has the same these in mind and the same testimony that they have, which is that they obtained a good testimony. And who's testifying of this testimony? Uh, It could be either... Uh, the author of Hebrews here right now, or it could be God himself who is testifying of them throughout the pages of scripture in the Old Testament. Um, my general understanding of it is that it's God who's testifying of their faithfulness through his word. And so he points out that all of these guys are the same, are given for the same reason and the same purpose is that it was their faith that got them a good testimony from the Lord, that the Lord looked at their life and it's like, that's a life that pleases me that's a life that's righteous because it's dependent on me. So there's a a refrain between those verses, a a phrase that's repeated uh, 17 times, and it's the phrase by faith. That is, this is how they did all of these things, all of the things that it's going to describe them doing, and there's not any that's really repeated. He's saying that they all did all of these random things, all of these different things, but they all had the same ability because of faith. They did it by faith. Um, Notice, let's just run through it real quick. Uh, He says, verse 4, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Verse 5, Enoch was taken. Verse 7, Noah prepared an ark. Uh, Abraham obeyed uh, when he went out. Verse 8, when he dwelt in the land. Verse 9, uh, when he offered up Isaac, verse seventeen through nineteen. Sarah conceived strength, uh, received strength to conceive seed, verse eleven. Isaac blessed uh, Jacob and Esau, verse twenty. Jacob blessed uh, each of the sons of Joseph, verse twenty-one. Joseph, uh, Joseph made mention of his departure. Uh, and gave instructions to the children of Israel. Hey, when you leave this place, you take my bones with you. So his faith was like, God's going to be faithful to take us back out of this land like he said he would. I'm not going to be around physically except for my bones, so take those with you. (laughs) So like giving them instructions. By faith, he was able to make that statement, verse 22. Moses, in verse 23, was hidden um, by his parents for three months. Uh, Verse 24 Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he became of age. Uh, verse 27, he forsook Egypt. Verse 28, he kept the Passover. Uh, the nation of Israel, in verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea. Uh, the walls of Jericho fell. Verse 30, um, the harlot Rahab did not perish. Verse 31, verse 32, he groups some people together. He says, Gideon, Barak, Sam, uh, Samson, Jephthah, David, and the prophets, Uh, That's when he mentions, you know, I could go on and on, and it's not, I'm not lacking examples. There are more examples. He's saying what I'm lacking is time, and maybe because he was writing, space (laughs) on on his parchment as he's he's writing to them. Um, But here's some more things that they were able to do by faith. Uh, Verse 33, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the uh, violence of fire, verse uh, 34, and forward, escaped. The edge of the sword, uh, out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, uh, raised to life again, verse 35. Others were tortured. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And this is God's summary of all of those people of whom the world was not worthy. So whether their lives from our perspective or from the world's perspectives were exceptionally successful, we look at Moses' life, he was you know, able to rise up, deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt and um, pass on his leadership to uh, Joshua to lead them, lead them into the promised land. We would say from the outside, that was a super successful life. And yet, towards the end of his list, he says there was others whose, the end of their life we wouldn't describe as good. We want, them, we want our lives to end that way. <laughs> being sawn in two, or being stoned to death, or all of these terrible, horrible things, being destitute by faith. Where's that being preached today? <laughs> come, come and become a Christian and be destitute by faith. <laughs> That's, that'll preach. I'm not sure where. But, um, so they weren't worthy of the world from God's perspective. Because they were living lives that were pleasing to God, even though they were not pleasing to anybody else around them. And so there were seasons of their life where life was successful because they were being faithful. And there were other seasons of their life, like the life of Job, where there were seasons of life that were exceptionally hard, even unto death, because they were faithful, And it's not the outward circumstances that were being manipulated. It was their obedience to the Lord and their commitment to the Lord and their hope in heaven that gave them this perspective. They realized that this life is not the only life, the only part to life. This is just a very small piece of life. It'd be like wanting your best life now to be while you were on the clock at work and then you didn't care about what you lived in at home. (laughs) I want my best life to be at home, not... (laughs) Not at my work. Like if work is terrible and then I have and then I get to leave that and then go to home to a wonderful house That would be that would be worth it. And that's what it's like in life. This life is like a work shift and that's it but Some people live like work is all there is and that they should work as little as possible while they're at work perhaps you have that coworker, and They're not thinking about what life is going to be like after this life. There's no hope for them after this life. And that's what he's saying about all of these people. They had hope in the Lord. They had a hope that was not bound to this time, a reward that was not physical only. It was a promise they had from the Lord that they lived their life in light of. And so another case study in the life of Moses, the, the requirements of living a faithful life, it's kind of uh, given to us there in verses 24 through verse 27. He says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God uh, than to enjoy the passing pleasure pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses did two things in order to be successful in his walk of faith uh, in what would be an otherwise very challenging situation to do. Uh, Moses was in a very privileged uh, section of his life, Uh, He grew up, not as any of the other Hebrew boys did, he grew up uh, as the daughter of the queen of the country that they were in. His growing up experience and everybody else's was very different. And yet, um, we're told that when he became of age, uh, he made a choice uh, of where uh, and what relationships were more important in his life. Was uh, the, the passing pleasures of this life more important and were the... Um, temporary relationships of this life more important than the eternal relationships that um, were before him. And uh, he was able to endure hard things in his life by uh, hoping in the promises of God through faith. And he was also able to make wise choices uh, during what can be more challenging than hard times, right? When, when we're in hard times, when we don't have enough money to pay the bills, when we don't know what to do next, when we're, you know, in a relational conflict that we have no idea what to do, I don't know what you do, but my natural inclination is, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> I don't know what to do right now, Lord. Uh, I, I need your help. I know I don't know what I'm doing, and I know I need you. That's what the hard times produce. The good times hide from our eyes, our need from the Lord. The good things in life sometimes are the things that keep us from living faithful lives to the Lord. And that's the danger that Moses found himself in in the beginning. But by focusing on the promises that God had given to his people and to Moses, through faith, he was able to not be distracted by the good things in life. He was able to focus on the promises that God had given him. There are many good things in life. Um, you know, God has given us so many good gifts. Uh, we have air conditioning. We have power from PG&E right now <laughs> for the moment. Good gifts. We could be distracted by those good gifts sometimes. Um, I know that uh, it's common for students that uh, there's nothing interesting on the Internet until they have a paper due. And then all of a sudden, you know, they found the good gifts of cat videos for some reason. Or... <laughs> Binge watching some other entertainment that's online—that's not a bad thing per se, but it's not the thing that needs that requires the focus in the moment. Right, a student who should be studying and producing a paper by midnight to email it in <laughs> so it's not late should not be watching cat videos. <laughs> That—that's a distraction at that point. That good thing has become a bad thing because it had become the main thing when there is something else that should be the main thing, and the uh, the good thing. That was the temptation to become the main thing in Moses' life was the good life of being Pharaoh's daughter, of not having to identify with people who were suffering. Right? Uh, if you could be, ladies, if you could, if you could be a queen, men, if you could be a king, or you could be a slave, <laughs> pop quiz, which one would you choose? <laughs> well, if you're normal, you'd be choosing the, the king or queen role, Um, but if the caveat was one, you don't get to be a part of God's family and you're a king or queen, or the other is you're a slave, but you get to be a part of God's family, which one has the greater reward? That can be hard in the moment, right? If you're really into a game that you're playing, like if you're playing Monopoly or Life, one of those games that have all the money in it, and you're like doing okay, like you were playing life, and you got the teacher role, but you're hitting every payday, so you're like, eh, could be worse, could be better. And somebody walked up to you, and they're like, I will give you, you know, five hundred thousand dollars in 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 life money, if you give me five hundred thousand dollars out of your bank account. Would you go out immediately and take a loan so you could live your best life now, <laughs> and trade? Actual money for monopoly money or for life money. And yet, that was the same offer that was being offered to Moses. But he saw it for what it was. He saw and valued the eternal riches of greater value because he had the right perspective. Now, perhaps you might find somebody who is so desperate to win the game of life that they would be willing to give up true riches. And that's what all of those who were unfaithful <laughs> did, right? Uh, remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was in line to receive the blessing, and he traded it for stew. <laughs> That'd be like trading your actual lunch for some Monopoly money. And it's backwards. It's backwards because the what should be valued is not valued. And so he was not distracted by the good things in life. The good things did not prevent him from being faithful in his walk with God because he was filled with faith that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. That the good gifts that God said he would give the people of Israel, even though they're currently slaves, (laughs) were far greater riches than anything Egypt had. And they were the world power at the time. Like, you pick your nicest country any time through history, nicest stuff, and that's where Moses was at in his time. He's like, and I will give up all of that so I can identify with slaves who belong to the Lord. So he was able to uh, not be distracted by the good things in life by focusing on the promises through faith, but he was also uh, able to not be overwhelmed by the bad things in life by hoping in the promises through faith, Notice that he chose the suffering, uh, chose to suffer. Verse twenty-five, chose to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than the passing pleasures of sin, and that's that's a true statement. Uh, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable. If anybody tells you otherwise, tell them to read the Bible. <laughs> Hebrews eleven twenty-five. Sin is pleasurable for a season, uh, just like it might be fun to be weightless and jump off a building. This is fun <laughs> until you know gravity has its final effect in the ground and the sudden stop at the bottom, and that's when the pain comes in. (laughs) It's pleasurable for a season, uh, but there's a price to pay at the end. That's what sin is like, Uh, like skydiving without a parachute. It can be fun. Nobody's saying skydiving isn't fun. They're just saying skydiving without a parachute (laughs) and smacking into the ground, not fun, (laughs) rather depressing. And so what he says is he chose the suffering, but he was able to do that According to verse 27, uh, again, he says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the king, not because the king wasn't somebody to be feared, largest army in the world, Uh, and he forsook Egypt, not that they didn't have anything nice. They had all the nice things in the world. He did both of those things, for he endured, which is the requirement of those who desire to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord, as seeing him who is invisible. He saw God at work. He saw the promises of God as something that could be held on to. And his life was a testimony to God's faithfulness. Like, well, why are you living the way you're living? Well, because God is faithful. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm able to live the way I'm living. That's why I want to live the way I'm living. It's not because I'm going to you know twist God's arm into giving me ice cream for breakfast. It's because God is good and he loves me and his promises are good. And they're better than anything this world has. The best this world has is a passing pleasure. That's the best. That's the top end of it. (laughs) Top end is a passing pleasure. He was able, the key, he was able because he was looking to Jesus. He had endurance. He looked for the reward that was from him, and he looked to him. The same is going to be true for each one of us. Just like their faithful endurance dependent on Jesus and his final work, our faithfulness in enduring is dependent on Jesus' faithful work. I think the way I've phrased it in my point is your faithful endurance depends on the finished work of Jesus. Notice uh, what caught my attention and was confusing to me at first. So if you're confused, you can join me and then I'll tell you how I got unconfused. You ready? Verse 39, um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, 39. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. What? I thought they were faithful. Why didn't they get the promise? What's going on here? God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What is he talking about here? I thought they were faithful. I thought they did the good things. I thought this was the hall of faith, all of the heroes of faith right here. How come they did all of these things and did not receive the promise? What is he talking about? Well, he explains in verse 13. uh, Verse 13, he says, all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. What they were looking forward to, what they saw from afar off, is what we look back to. And that is, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. They knew that someday God was going to send a Savior for their sins, and that that Savior was going to be the means by which all of the other blessings in life would come. The original promise to Abraham was, through you the whole earth will be blessed. And they understood that that blessing was going to be coming through the Messiah's finished work of salvation. And they hadn't seen it yet. And yet they still believed in it. They looked forward to something that hadn't happened yet, in the same way that we look back to something that we can't physically lay our eyes on right now. We can't go to Jerusalem right now and see Jesus on a cross. He's not there on the cross. But what they look forward to is the blessing that we have of looking back on. And because of that, we're both looking at the same thing. That's why he says we're made perfect together with them. They weren't any better than we are. And in fact, we've got a better vantage point. We can tell you when in history it happened. We have books of the Bible like the book of Hebrews and the other New Testament books that explain the importance of what that work accomplished, (laughs) right? The whole work of salvation is all done in Jesus. And they looked forward to that finished work for their own righteousness. Uh, When Abraham first got the promise that he was going to have a son, there was no doubt in his mind, and he was 75 at the time. He'd get a son 25 years later, but when he got that promise from the Lord, the Lord's like, I'm going to give you a son. The Bible says in Genesis fifteen six, he says, Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. We're, we're accounted righteous in the same way, <laughs> by believing God, the promises that he made. Like, God, this is what you said. I believe that you will do that thing that you said. That's, that's, how, that's how we're made righteous before the Lord. We're not made righteous by getting our life together and, and doing right things. But that confidence in God to do that thing, we can't please God apart from that. Remember, that's what he said uh, with regard to Enoch. Enoch walked with God, God to come away. Um, and he had this testimony that he pleased God. Hebrews 11.6. Hear this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't live a life that's pleasing to God without believing <laughs> that he's capable and willing to keep the promises that he's made. You, you just can't do it. You've, you've got to believe and trust him for the promises he's made if you're going to live a life that's, are, that's pleasing to him. There's no cleaning up your life beforehand to kind of get yourself ready to go. It's, God, my life's a mess, but I believe you take messes and you, you make righteous lives out of them. Abraham didn't do anything special beforehand. God gave him a promise, and then he believed the promise, and then that's how righteousness was accounted to him. So all of these people in the book of Hebrews were looking forward to what we look back on, and all of these people is what he calls uh, a cloud of witnesses. Notice he, he says that the, the finished work of Christ was behind these heroes of faith. Really, it should be before these heroes of faith. <laughs> it's behind us chronologically. But the reason why they were able to stand and live lives that were pleasing to the Lord, to, to deny the attractive things of the world, to endure the hard things in the world, the reason why they were able to do that was because they looked toward the finished work of Jesus. Notice he gives us our practical application, which is why we're getting into chapter 12 verse uh, 1 and 2 is because everything that he's stated, he's going to make a statement about how it should affect the way we live our lives. Verse 1 in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So how do we endure in faithful living? Uh, He gives us a few points. Uh, The first seems rather obvious. Uh, He uses the illustration there of a race that is set before us. If you've ever seen runners uh, in races, I used to uh, run in high school, uh, circles for fun. Um, My sport was other sports punishment. Um, but if you've ever noticed, um, I noticed when I was in high school, not that I was a fan of it uh, as a runner, um, but what runners wear when they're running uh, is the bare minimum, I think it's the only thing from the eighties that have lasted is the shorts that long distance runners have to wear. <laughs> they are wider than they are long, um, and it's it's so that they are not weighed down and like really would like a half an ounce more make that big of a difference? <laughs> I don't know um, and so what the illustration here is, is if you want to be faithful in your endurance as a runner, step one is to, you know, take off your, your backpack of bricks and, you know, lay it down on the ground. <laughs> Don't be running around with a backpack. Uh, sometimes, especially when I was a, a junior high youth pastor, I got questions asked like, hey, can I do this and be a Christian? Well, sort of, kind of, yeah. There was a, a, a story my a uh, coach told me in high school of uh, a kid who was in high school. He was a gifted runner, uh, and he asked the coach, kind of tongue-in-cheek, hey, can I smoke cigarettes and, and be a long-distance runner? And he's like, yeah, you can do that. You just can't do that and be good. Like, it's not helpful. <laughs> that's not gonna make you run, it's going to make you run worse. You're not going to be able to do what you could have done. You may still be the best that's here, but you're not going to ever be the best you could have been because you're bearing this unnecessary weight. It's not that it's wrong. well, for high school, probably wrong, but it's it's not that it's illegal to wear a backpack. There's no rule that says you can't wear a backpack full of bricks while you run your one-mile race because it's unnecessary. (laughs) You don't have to tell guys who want to win a race, don't weigh yourself down. Just don't do it. It's not wise. And uh, the Bible tells us um, with regard to Christian freedoms, we're free to do a lot of things, and and here's where it's it's said to us in that way, First Corinthians chapter six, uh, verse twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Again, in First Corinthians ten, verse twenty three, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify, or build me up, or help me to be the best that I can be for the Lord. So we, yes, we have freedom to do some things that aren't aren't going to be helpful for us to do the thing that we're supposed to do. If you think about that college student who's trying to cram that paper in before midnight watching cat videos, are they free to watch cat videos? Why, yes. <laughs> Is that helpful? Not at all. <laughs> if you were the... Uh, parent in the room, you just walk over and be like, we're going to turn that off now. (laughs) Why don't you have a little juice break, do some jumping jacks, come back, write the paper. Um, And that would be good advice. All of those other things, edify. (laughs) Cat video, not so much. And so we have immense amount of freedom, but if we want to live lives that are going to endure, uh, that it's, it's going to be lives that are free from those things, things that are not necessarily bad, but they're not helpful for the things that God are calling us to do. And there's gonna be a great variety in that. And so if you see somebody doing something that you're not free to do, just know, it might be okay for them. They may not have that paper due at midnight, they're free to watch the cat video. (laughs) For you it is sin, for them it is Christian freedom. (laughs) On the other end of that, uh, he says, uh, besides laying aside every weight, he also says, something that should be obvious, but, you know, the Bible sometimes <laughs> lays these things out because it knows us better than we know ourselves or are willing to confess to others. He says, lay aside the sin. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, he's, he's talking to believers about faithful living, and he has to tell faithful believers about living faithful lives, don't sin. That says a lot about faithful believers <laughs> and our tendency to sin uh the The fallen nature that we have uh what Paul would call the old man uh needs to be crucified daily. <laughs> uh, he can live on a graham cracker and you know be alive and kicking forever you're trying to starve you know that fleshly desires within us and it's still there uh the The tendency to sin will what the scripture calls ensnares uh, to go back to our long distance running that would be like your shoelaces being tied together. <laughs> Uh, and, but in and, and the illustration that he's using, that'd be like you tying your own shoelaces together. <laughs> like, if you're giving, if you're a long-distance coach and you're telling your people, don't wear backpacks full of bricks, and also, don't tie your shoes together. <laughs> this is the same kind of advice he's given us. Uh, it's very basic, very straightforward, but also very needed. He knows, he knows we want to tie our shoelaces together. <laughs> he knows that because it's fun, and it's okay for us, we'll carry bricks in a backpack. And he's saying, if you want to run with endurance the race that is set before you, lay aside those things that you're free to do that aren't helpful. Lay aside the sin that's entangling you. It's not helpful. The last and certainly not least important is what he says about what we're supposed to do in verse three, uh, sorry, verse two, looking unto Jesus. He doesn't say, look within, you know, dig deep. Favorite phrase of coaches, dig deep. I don't know what you mean. I'm out the other side already. I'm not very small. The power and strength doesn't come from us looking within us. It's not us having more confidence in the confidence. It's us looking unto Jesus. It's not any different than what uh, he's asked us to do. From the beginning, uh, the, the good work that Jesus began in us is not completed by us. The good work that Jesus began in us, Jesus is going to complete. We'll be done when he's done with us, not when we're done with us, not when our pastor's done with us, not when we're done doing the Life of you know, David study, not when we've you know, learned Greek and Hebrew, not when we've got that job or when we're retired or when our kids, are, not when anything, when Jesus is done with you, you're done and Jesus is not done with you, I can tell because you're still alive. That's how I know. <laughs> the person next to you, also not done. So, you know, give them grace. <laughs> Jesus' life of faith also required endurance. What he's asking us to do wasn't anything different than he also did. If these other people were heroes, Jesus is the hero of faith. Notice what it says about Jesus. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who started it and the one who will finish it, uh, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' life required endurance. If Jesus needed endurance <laughs> in his life, is all I'm saying, how much more will we need endurance? And that endurance doesn't come from within us and our confidence in us, but it comes from us and us having confidence in him. And then notice what it says about Jesus. He sat down. His work is done. The work that he's done for us is done. There's this weird thing in scripture sometimes that theologians call the already and not yet. That means sometimes the Bible describes you as completely sanctified. And then like two verses later, it'll be like, and he's continuing to sanctify you. And you're like, well, which is it? Am I done or am I not done? I'm confused. Uh, and we're confused because we're stuck in this thing called time. It'd be like if you're watching a video of uh, you know, somebody going off of a ramp and then crashing and breaking their arm, and like, you're at the point in the video where they're jumping off, and everybody's like, that's a bad plan. He's gonna break his arm. And he hasn't broken his arm yet in the video, But if you pull down the video and you look up, there he is, arm broken. (laughs) The work's already done, (laughs) right? God sees us from eternity's perspective. He sees us as not just works in progress, which we are right now, but as completed works. Fully acceptable. From his perspective, he's presented us to himself as a beautiful bride. And we're like, I think I still need work. Also, uh, if you could work on my spouse, that'd be wonderful. My kids need some work too, Lord. (laughs) certainly not all my fault. (laughs) Can we uh, share the wealth of blame here? Uh, Jesus, noticed, though, endured by looking forward to. Did you notice that? Despising this, uh, it was for the joy that was set before him. He was able to endure the cross, something way harder than anything we'll ever have to do. If we're a believer, he took on the punishment for sin. That was the endurance of the cross. Way harder than anything we'll ever have to do. He did that because he was also looking forward to an end result of it. In the same way that we'll go to work or we'll work out or that we'll go on a diet, we'll do all of these torturous things to ourselves because we know that there's a paycheck. (laughs) We know that there's a, a payoff to the diet plan. Right? We'll do all of those things because we we look to the reward, not because it's enjoyable now. And sometimes, and oftentimes, a a life that is faithful to the Lord now is going to require the endurance of not just enduring hard things, but saying no to good things so that the best things can be obtained. Right? And so, some thoughts. If you're a non-believer here this morning... There is no life that you can live that is pleasing to God apart from faith. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Faith is how you start a relationship with the Lord. You don't start a relationship with the Lord by getting your finances together, by getting your life together, by getting your relationships sorted. Uh, if it was dependent on that, none of us would be saved. Faith is how you start a relationship with God. The the one promise that God has for you, it's Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the promise of scripture. How do you know you can be saved? Because God said, if you believe, (laughs) then you will be saved. He goes on to say in verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him, will not be put to shame. That means they're going to be accepted by God in heaven. That's how it starts. That's the foundation of our faith. If you're a new believer, uh, obedience to God in a fallen world is going to be hard. Obedience to God in this fallen world is going to be hard because you're going to want things that aren't good for your faith (laughs) and your faith walk. But the requirement of faith is that while we're waiting for the promise to come, we're working. We're working, and we're serving the Lord while we're waiting. All of these heroes of faith, they were all faithful to serve the Lord while they waited for a promise that hadn't come. We have a hope in heaven, and while we wait for that hope, there is work to do. Living a life of faith will require endurance. The Christian life is like a race, and how you live your life will impact your ability to run the race that God has set before you. You know if there are weights in your life that need to be set aside. Set them aside. You know if you've tied your shoelaces together. If there is sin in your life that you're just allowing to live there. The Bible, in another place that seems as ridiculous to say, but it says it because it knows we need to hear it, it says, uh, Give no place to sin, which seems like a ridiculous thing to have to say, but it's in the Bible. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4 says, Give no place to sin. Don't do that. Look to the author and finisher of the work, Jesus. If you're a mature believer and you've known these things, if you're been running the race for quite some time. Some questions I have for you. Have you picked up the weights again? Are you not laying aside the sins that you once used to? Galatians chapter 5 verse 7 Paul writes, "You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth?" Are you now looking to yourself for strength? Or are you now looking to Jesus for the strength to finish the race? Again, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? How we started is how we continue, and it's how we finish, which is Jesus. Started it, Jesus will continue it. And it's not by our energy and efforts, it's by the work that God does. And we allow him to do that work by believing the promises that he's given. Paul writes with regard to the, the hardness and hardships of the Christian life, balanced with the blessings that are there. In Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight through eleven, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For he who lives, uh, for he who lives, uh, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest or made clear in our mortal flesh. It will be hard, but when it's hard, it's when Jesus is seen in our lives. Remember the three boys who were thrown in the furnace, that's when Jesus' presence in their life was seen. It's when life is hard that when God's, that's when God's presence is made clear. And that's the hard choice of excluding the good things that you could be doing, the, the cat videos of life, or excluding you know, the tying of your shoelaces together. That's going to confuse the world. And the answer better be is because I have a better hope. We have Jesus. As our hope, would you close with me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, what a joy it is uh, to be able to look at uh, our heroes of faith and, not, and know that they were not perfect, but they had a Father in heaven who was. God, I've not kept my word, and yet you have remained faithful. God, I have failed repeatedly, and yet you continue to succeed. And so, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that our confidence would not be in us, but it would be in you. Lord, that we would be able to run with endurance in the race that you have set before us. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.